Welcome to Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. Uh, a couple announcements for you before we get rolling here with everything else. Uh, this is a fun club week, so just so you can mark that on your calendars. Uh, we're going to have a, a vote coming up Sunday, April 9th. We're going to be voting on uh, new members, and we're also going to be voting on uh, search committee members for the youth pastor search. That will be Sunday, April 9th, so if you can mark that down, be aware of that, that would be great. And the list of names is in your bulletin, so you can see those names and kind of see who those people are. Uh, what else can I tell you? We're offering a membership class as well on April 22nd. That's 8 to noon. So if you if you want to become a member of this church, that's a class you want to take. Let me know or call the office. Let us know you want to be there, and that will be great. Um, and with that, we're going to switch things up a little bit, and I'm going to preach first. So I invite you to grab your Bibles, uh, turn to the book of Acts. We are in Acts 9, and as you're going there, I will pray. Father, I just want to uh, ask this morning as we're coming to a very significant conversion in the book of Acts, one that has huge impacts on the church. I pray that as we look at Saul and what you did in his life, we would see where it intersects with our life, that, that we make some connections between what you did in his life and what you're doing in our life but that the end result would be the same, that is, that we glorify you, that we use this life you've given us, this life that you've transformed in your service, wherever you have called us, whatever you've told us to do. So would you uh, open your word to us? Would you um, show us your truths? Show us the wonder of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's what we're doing today. Um, if you're going to Acts 9, we're going to look at the conversion of Saul. Uh, so we're looking at Acts 9, 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for, for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise, enter, enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus, named Saul, for behold, he's praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name to the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, 
Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. What I want to do is walk through Saul's life. Uh, actually walk through Saul's conversion in this story, calling attention to certain comments, certain statements that are made here. And as we do that, to be thinking, what's the connection between Saul and me? Now, now just so you're aware, I'm probably going to call him Paul at least a half a dozen times because you know that's who we're talking about, the Apostle Paul. So whether I say Saul or Paul, you'll get the picture, okay? So, um, number one, first of all, we see that Saul is still breathing threats and murder. He's breathing these, these murderous threats to the church. So Saul is described here as, as a very zealous man. He wants to wipe out the church. He believes the church is anti-temple, anti-law, and he knows the law. He's a Pharisee. This is what he cares about the most. And so he's, uh, he's got these letters from the high priest. And he's locking people up. And he's even threatening to murder people. Now, we don't know if he's actually going around killing people or whether he had legal authority to do that. But at least he's saying it. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to find you and I'm going to kill you. And so he's on his way to Damascus now to do that very thing, to lock people up, to threaten them. And you can see that there's this guy is so zealous for the law. He has zeal. And it comes from his... his uh, his heritage, his being a Pharisee, if we pull up Philippians, this is how Paul talks about himself. He says, I'm circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So he's describing his accolades and he's like, I'm the best, you know, I'm the best. He studied under one of the most famous uh, teachers of the time, Gamaliel. Now, we talked about Gamaliel weeks ago and how he was more gracious towards the church. But Saul's like, no, the church is is blaspheming God and I've got to wipe it out. And, and you wonder, like, who who are Paul's heroes in the faith? Like, like who does Paul look to and think to himself, I'm going to kill people that, that don't agree with me? You know, maybe he had in his mind, like, we, we don't know this and he doesn't tell us this, but maybe this zeal comes from reading stories like Elijah. Remember, Elijah has a big confrontation with the prophets on Mount Carmel. You know, in the in Old Testament prophets, you know, and, and 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 the prophets of Baal versus one prophet of the true God. You know, and, and they're talking, and 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 Elijah says, "You set up your altar; I'll set up mine." And you call down fire from Baal; I'll call down fire from God, and we'll see whose sacrifice is lit. You know, and, and so, so the prophets of Baal are, are cutting themselves and dancing around and trying to bring down fire, and nothing happens. And, and in the meantime, Elijah drenches the altar with water, and there's trenches around it full of water. And he prays, and fire comes down and ignites the whole thing, and the thing burns up. And, and, and then there's a killing of, of the false priest. There, there, there's a killing. And so maybe, maybe Paul's, Saul's thinking about this and, and thinking to himself, this is what you got to do. You got to wipe out the, the people that are believing incorrectly. You got to wipe out the blasphemers. This is what you have to do to, to have true, pure 
worship of the living God. We've got to get rid of these people. Huge zeal. Huge zeal. But totally wrong. And I think the point is for us that that zeal without knowledge is always a dangerous thing. Zeal without true knowledge is always a dangerous thing. It's always dangerous to be passionate about the wrong things. And you think about before you came to Christ, whatever was important to you then, whatever made you think much of yourself, you know, whatever, whatever got you up in the morning and you're saying, I'm passionate about this. This is the fight worth fighting for. This is what I have zeal over. This is it. But you didn't have Christ, so you were missing a key piece of the picture. And so it was all distorted. Whatever you were really caring about before Christ, it doesn't mean Christ can't transform that old thing into something beautiful, but, but it was all out of whack. It was all out of line. It wasn't where it needed to be, whatever that thing you were zealous of before Jesus. Because this is what Paul calls that. You know, It's not bad to love the law of God. It's bad to want to lock people up if they don't agree with you. That's not a good thing. But it's not bad to love the law of God. Um, Paul calls all those accolades, all the things he was zealous about for his whole life, he calls it garbage or, or rubbish. That, that's the word he uses. He's like, all that stuff, all the things I thought that were great about me, garbage. And actually the rubbish uh, word is skubalon um, in Greek. Maybe so you've heard some people talk about this. It's actually the word for dung, or it's even more vulgar than that. Okay, So, so insert your own word there that I can't say in church. That's, that's what it is. That's what he says. All the stuff that I, all that Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee, great me, zealous for the law, it's garbage, it's dung, it's trash, it's flush it down the toilet. That's what it is. All those things I cared about before Christ. I had zeal without knowledge. So here's the verse in Philippians. Now remember, we're talking about zeal without knowledge. I don't have knowledge of the truth. So what Paul says, whatever gain I had, you know, it's like whatever I thought was important pre-Christ, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of what? The surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. Zeal with knowledge of Christ is a powerful thing. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, dung, in order that I might gain Christ. He says, when you know Jesus, you look at those things you used to be passionate about, and it just looks differently. It just looks a lot differently. And again, God may take those things you were passionate about, and he may transform them a little bit. I mean, you you may, you know, if you had a passion for uh, caring for elderly people, you know, that may still be there, you know, but it's just... It's transformed through Jesus. Or maybe you look at the stuff you used to be passionate about and go, I'm embarrassed about that. I'm embarrassed of what I cared about back then. Because that's changing too. Moving on. So Paul is on his way, zealously ready to lock up Christians. But then there's a voice, and there's a light. And number two, this voice, this light knocks him off his animal He's on the ground and he hears this voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the voice doesn't identify itself yet. It knows his name. And there's kind of a debate. Did Saul, when Saul saw that blinding light, did he actually see Jesus? 
I don't know, because number three, we should get to really quick here. Number three, Saul says, who are you, Lord? And I think this is an incredibly revealing statement. Because it shows, first of all, that Saul is completely confused. He has no idea, like, who is this? But, but yet, he does have an idea that this is, this is God speaking to him. I, I, I don't think it's, uh, who are you, uh, who are you, Lord? It's, who are you, Lord? Like, like, he knows he's talking to God, but he's not sure who it is. And, and it shows the confusion. And, and, and maybe for you, there was confusion leading up to your conversion. You know, maybe there was, I, 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 don't, I don't know what's going on. What am I supposed to believe? What am I supposed to do? Everything's confusing. But then there was that, that moment of clarity. But, but in the confusion, it, it, it's true. It's right there. In the light of Christ, our confusion gives way to clarity. So, so the things you didn't understand before in Christ, he starts to bring clarity to it. Like, I, I don't understand any purpose in suffering, but in Christ I'm starting to see it. You know, it's, it's, it's the clarity he brings to life. And so the light was shined. And again, I don't know whether Paul saw Jesus. There's a passage later where, where he says that the righteous one was revealed to him. And maybe that's just the light, the blinding light. So he says, who are you, Lord? A statement of confusion and yet a statement that's pretty accurate, that you're the Lord. And then number four, he hears, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And this is an amazing statement. This is, this is the game-changing statement. Oh yeah, the one that I want to kill. The, the, one that, the one that Stephen saw as I approved of his murder. That guy. The last time Jesus showed up like that was during the martyrdom of Stephen. And so now Saul sees the light or, or sees something that's reflected from Jesus and who Jesus is. And he's beginning to realize something profound. And he'll write about this a lot later. That anyone who believes in Jesus is connected to Jesus. They're in Christ. So if you persecute Jesus, you persecute the, you persecute the Christian, you persecute Jesus. Because we're all connected to him. So I'm going after the church, I'm going after these people, and really it's Jesus I'm going after. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Um, Jesus revealed himself to Saul. Uh, let's say that. Jesus revealed himself to Saul. Jesus reveals himself to us. That, that it was someone, it was something that shined a light in your life for Christ. You know, and, and, and a lot of times we read testimonies like this. And you know, us that have squeaky clean testimonies, you know who you are, you know? Where, where it wasn't that dramatic, like, I wasn't zealous for anything back then. I just kind of grew up knowing Christ. And when I was six years old, I gave my life to Christ. That's my story. It might, might be your story as well. But I want you to think of how profound it is that your parents shine consistent light, or maybe it was grandparents, they shine light into your life, and that's no small thing. But I just want to say that, you know. I mean, yeah, the light knocked Saul off of his animal, but... For you, it might have been a relative. It might have been a pastor. It might have been a Sunday school teacher. You know, somebody, but, but for us to have those, it's come through the family and you've picked up the faith. I just want you to know, it's an amazing thing that your parents shine consistent light into your life so they didn't have to knock you down. That's pretty amazing. That is no 
small thing. And, and I want you to think about this because your testimony may not have that kind of dramatic darkness to light feel to it. But I bet all of you have stories of what this light has done since then. And those stories are pretty dramatic. In other words, you might say, I was saved at the age of 10, but what has Jesus done since then? How has He led you? What has He told you to do? What dramatic things has He done in your life? That's part of your testimony too. And so for those of you that think mine is boring, that would suggest that everything Jesus is doing in your life is boring. I, I don't think that's the case. I think you have stories about what He's done since you gave your life to Him. And those are exciting and people need to hear those. Jesus has revealed Himself to us. If you think about it, you'll see some amazing things the light has done. Now, there, there's a phrase in, in uh, later uh, when Paul retells this story when he's on trial, and, and it's something Jesus says to him. Jesus says, uh, Saul, it's hard to kick against the goads. So, so when Jesus says, you know, it, it's me, Jesus, whom you're persecuting, then Jesus says, it's hard to kick against the goads. So it's like, what in the world is that? And I think it's worth mentioning here. Because a goat is like a, like, like a prod with, with, with a sharp end. And, and when you're driving an animal, you can poke that thing in the animal. And the animal tr- may try to resist, you know. But it doesn't matter because the, the, the goat is going into the animal. It's poking the animal. And, and the idea of a goat is you're not going... If you're the animal, you're not going to win. Okay? If you're the animal and the goat is poking into you, it doesn't pay to resist. You might as well give in. You're not going to win. And I love this because what Jesus says to Paul is you've been kicking against the goads. You've been trying to resist and you're not going to win. I'm going to have you. I'm calling you. And, and, And I look at that statement and I think maybe maybe deep down Paul was considering Christ. and We don't know. We don't know what he was thinking about. I mean he wanted to kill people and he wanted to lock people up. But was there something going on in his heart where he was, he was resisting it? Maybe you felt that too, where, where you're resisting what you know Jesus is saying, what he's doing, and, and you're trying to get away from it, but the goat is sticking into you, you know? And, and, and you, can't, you can't win, because Jesus wins. And so I'll say this, um, when it comes to your blindness to Jesus... When it comes to your resistance to Him, He's going to win. He wants to win. Stop kicking against it. Uh, so we'll bring that point up if you would, Jim. You know, um, My blindness doesn't win. Jesus wins. Okay? My blindness doesn't win. When you didn't know Jesus, you were blind to Him. In fact, it may be true what is said in uh, 2 Corinthians, if we can pull that up. Uh, in, their, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. This is, this is the same guy writing. This is Paul. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This is Paul saying, people just can't see the light because Satan is blinding them to it. They can't see the light of Christ until the light breaks through your blindness like it did for Saul. Okay? You see? My blindness doesn't win. 
Jesus wins. He overcomes blindness. He overcomes stubbornness. He overcomes resistance. That's what he does. He wins. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not, that's not a statement of uh, universalism, by the way. I'm not saying everyone believes in Jesus. I'm not saying every blind person sees. Some people will die in their blindness. But when Jesus calls you and shines his light, you will see. You will see. He'll make you see. He'll overcome Satan who blinds you. Okay, um, next, I love this. Uh, Jesus says, but rise, enter the city, and you will be told what to do. I mean, I love this. It's not even like, it's not even like, Saul, you need to believe in me. It's time to believe in me. Instead, Jesus just says, get up, get yourself into the city, and, and you'll get told what to do. And, and it's like, well, yeah. And so, all right, I'll go. There's just this, this command. This is what you're going to do, Saul. You're going to go into the city. And, and I think it's so cool to think about this. I mean, again, there's, there's no call to pray the prayer. There's, there's no, like, believe in me. It's just get up, get in there, and I'm going to tell you what I want you to do next. I love the command, you know, that, that Jesus just can say, this is what you're going to do for me. This is what you're going to do. And we say, okay. And for you, it might have been as simple as this. Jesus said, believe in me, and you did. It's just simple. He commanded you to believe, and you did. And, and this is where we can get into the whole, you know, God electing us, he shined his light on us, or was it my free will that chose him? Which one's first? You know, did I choose God first or did he choose me? Um, I'm always going to lean on God initiating it, you know, of God shining the light. I, I, again, I don't know what was going on in Saul's heart. If you're more Arminian and free will, free choice, maybe Saul was wrestling in his heart and thinking, you know, I, maybe I need this Jesus. I don't know. No, I'm going to person. You know, uh, what, what am I going to do? Uh, I don't know what was going on in Saul's heart. I'm ignorant of that. Besides that, he wanted to lock up Christians. But I know when Jesus commands us to believe, some of us have responded and said, "I'm in." And Jesus commands everyone everywhere to believe. It's not just you. He commands everyone to believe. And some people respond. And part of that's the mystery as well. So now Saul goes into the city, um, a changed man, a blind man. He can't see from the bright light. Meanwhile, Ananias is, uh, has a vision from God, and, and God says to Ananias, I want you to go lay hands on this guy Saul. He needs to be able to see. He needs the Holy Spirit. And Ananias starts having this debate with God. You know, Now, now wait a minute. I've heard about this guy. Uh, I'm not sure about him. So what, let's see, what number are we on here? Um, yeah, number seven. Uh, Lord, I've heard about this man. Um, and I love that Ananias goes down this road of, he, he's not, it's not that he's, I don't know if he's doubting God. We could talk about that later maybe in cross-training. But it's almost like, God, I want to I talk to you about this guy. He, he hurts people. He locks people up, you know. Uh, you know, do something for my nerves here because I, I don't know about talking to this guy. And uh, I, I love that Ananias goes there because I think that's a good word for the church. That, that he's skeptical. This is a bad, bad guy. And so the point being, I think God loves shocking the church. I think God loves waking us up by transforming really, quote-unquote, bad people. Like, like, like he loves saving people and you would say, no, that'll never happen. I've never prayed for that person because they're so far gone. 
And God's like, that's the guy I want. That's the one I want. And it's like, we're worried about coming into church, how we look, that that, that we're getting in with our family and we're not arguing like we were in the car right before we came into church, you know. Um, We want to make sure we look really good in church, you know. And... uh, and then when we tell stories about our week, they're always the good stories. They're like the Facebook-appropriate stories, you know. They're, they're the good stories that we tell in church. But, but I think we know that we're getting to know as a church that we can bring the bad stuff here, the hard stuff here, the, the, the stuff that was really difficult in our week and say, this is how it is. It really stinks this last week. I mean, I know God is good, but last week was so hard, and we can be real about it. And I believe when God transforms really bad people, it it reminds us that Christianity is not this squeaky clean thing where where you just look good all the time. That that God takes rough people. And if someone rough came in here, they better feel welcome. They better feel like they could be here amongst you and, and not feel like, oh man, look at everybody else here and how much they've got it together. He loves transforming rough people. Um, and he shocks the church when he does it. So if you've ever thought, God will never save them, you're in good company because Ananias thought the same thing. Number eight, God says to Ananias when he responds, he is the chosen instrument of mine. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul, the persecutor of the church, is, is, is going to suffer for the sake of the church, for the sake of the gospel. This zealous, crazy, passionate guy. Do you ever wonder, like, if you sat down to lunch with Saul, whether you would have liked him or not? Like, I think about that sometimes. Like, would you have enjoyed your conversation with him? Now, pre-Christ, I could probably say, no, I wouldn't like sitting down with him. That, that, that's kind of a given. But even after he came to Christ, this makes me wonder, like, what kind of guy is this? You know, would I feel intimidated by him and be like, oh, man, this guy is so crazy about Christ. But you have to be because he's going to suffer for the sake of Christ. He's going to go to places and start riots in cities and, and have to escape over the wall. And <clears throat> all this crazy stuff's going to follow Saul. The beatings, the whippings, the imprisonments, hunger, thirst, shipwreck, snake bites. You know, it, it, it's all, it's all going to be around and surrounding his life. I'll show him how much he's going to suffer. So go lay your hands on him. And so Ananias does. And immediately, number nine, something like scales fell from his eyes. Something like scales. I I don't know. I don't know what that was. We're not told what it was. But let's say this. You know and I know the blindness of of Saul represents his spiritual condition without Christ. He he was blind. And the blinders came off. And And I love that the blinders came off because somebody in the church laid hands on him. And it encourages me because that's me and that's you. We get to shine light into people's lives. We get to help take the blinders off when we talk about Christ with people. And we get to look into people's lives and try to discern, you know, where's the blind spot at? What are they not getting? What's the roadblock to them coming to Christ? And help them work through those, those blind spots in their life. So the the point being that God uses his church, Jesus uses his church to remove the scales. Now, um, I've said all that. I want to make a concluding point here. 
after everything we've seen, I, I just... Do you know how many times Luke records this story in the, God, in, in the book of Acts? Three times you hear Saul's conversion story. You see it in Acts 9, and you see it when he's on trial. When he's before authorities, he tells his story. Now, what do you think about this? Um, when you're writing a book of the Bible, which you've never done and I've never done, but if you were back, if you lived back then, you have a limited amount of parchment. You have a limited amount of scroll to write on. You have to be selective. You can't put everything in there. This is not a biography. You know, I've read some biographies of people, and they're like, they're like this thick, and I'm like, even that isn't everything, you know. Um, but you've got to be selective in what you choose to share. It's just the nature of the beast when you're writing, which is why uh, gospel writer John says you, many books could be written about Jesus and they could fill all the libraries in the world. You know, you just, there'd be no end to what you could say about Jesus. But these things were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's, that's what John says. You have to be selective. There's no Microsoft Word and you can go on forever and ever and ever. Some of you are storytellers, you know, and I've sat down with you, and you could tell a story for an hour and still be going. Some of you have that gift. And some of us would be riveted, and some of us would say, when's it over? I, I, you know. <laughs> all right? <laughs> I see all those types. But when you're a book of the Bible writer, <clears throat> what are you going to put in? What are you going to keep out? And Luke tells this story of Saul three times. Why in the world would he do that? Why waste the space? You say, well, because it's not a waste. Okay, so what's the point? Why three times? I think because Saul's story is so important to the church and it gives us a model for us telling our own stories. Can we just say this in conclusion? Tell your story. Tell it often. Tell it well. Be a storyteller about what Jesus has done in your life. That's it. That's it. Be a Saul who became Paul and say, every chance I get, I'm going to tell people what God has done for me. To do that well, you probably need a before Christ, like Saul, you know, his story before Christ. You hear him talking about that in his, in his letters. So this is what I was like before Jesus. This is how I met Jesus. Tell that story. It's your parents. It's, it's a pastor. It's a Sunday school teacher. It's a friend. It's a relative. This person led me to Christ. And, and this, is, this is what happened. And then talk about after. This is what happened after. And again, for those of you that feel like you have the boring story, I'm betting Jesus has done some exciting things after. Talk about those things. I don't think anybody has a boring story when it comes to what Jesus has done in your life. Tell your story. Tell it often. Tell it well. That's exactly what Saul did. And you can see in the next verses, number 10 that is, it says immediately he proclaimed Jesus. Now there's a little, I love the little play on words here because I don't know if you noticed it, but when it says the scales fell off his eyes, it says immediately the scales fell off his eyes. And then a few verses later you see, immediately he proclaimed Jesus. It's like, as soon as he was done being blind, he got out there. Okay? The immediately words. Immediately the scales fell off, and immediately he gets out there and tells people about Jesus. There's no like, I, I, and he did, he did take time later 
I'll give the caveat here. He does go into Arabia, we're told in Galatians, you know. I think he spent some time sorting through, like, what was I doing, you know. But he doesn't waste time talking about Jesus immediately. And that's our call. Tell your story. Tell it often. Tell it well. Tell it so much that you know it easily. Add some new stuff to your story about what Jesus has done in recent days. Always be updating your story because he's always shining new light. He's always doing new things. He's always, he's always on the move in your life. As we move on, I just, worship team, if you would come up at this time, they're going to read a passage that tells the story of each of our lives from sin to salvation to what God is doing now, being workmanship. And I would have you just consider, where does your story fit into that? Are you in the pre-Jesus time right now? Where you'd say, yeah, I haven't trusted in Him yet. Are you in the like new believer stage? Or are you living for Christ? Are, you're His workmanship. Are, are you doing exactly what He's called you to do? Where are you in the story? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You for Saul's story, for shining your light into the heart of a zealous person. And thank you that your light can overcome blindness. That nothing can stop you. Thank you that you've shined your light into so many of our hearts, our lives. Now may we go out and tell the story to other people. At work, over coffee, wherever, at the dinner table. I pray we'd be quick to talk. I pray we'd all be storytellers. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.